Welcome to the In the Bag podcast. I'm your host from somewhat sunny, I don't know, it's been a fluctuating weather here actually, uh, Houston, Texas, and with me as always is Jazzy, James Holliman. How's it going, buddy? It'd be going better if Tony Finau knew how to finish a tournament and Bubba Watson didn't make eights on par fives, but uh, outside of that, we're doing pretty well. Yeah, it was... Uh, it would have been an incredible weekend if, I, if, if one of those two things hadn't happened. Yeah, it was uh, like a, it was a pretty frustrating weekend, honestly. Except that we still won money, but it, somehow I have no idea how it ended up happening. Yeah, but luckily the guys, luckily the guys that we were high on at the bottom were all the guys that had good weeks, except for unfortunately Charlie Hoffman kind of yeah. let us down. But Burn fighting back on Friday and Warinsky for me until Sunday, having a pretty big round, and then he even battled back into the top twenty, which was. Which was good for me. So it was. I mean, it was a. It was a fun tournament to watch. It was nice to have some feel good stories instead of just watching Chocolin tournament every yeah, the, week, like we have for the past. Yeah, the Michael long. Thompson speech was super awesome. That was very cool. Yeah, I, I. I. I definitely. I wasn't my favorite tournament, but I mean, there. I think as they were coming off the 16th green, there was five people tied at. Like or there, there was two people tied at seventeen under, and like four or five people tied at sixteen under, or something like that. And they potentially, we were potentially might have like a five-way playoff. Yeah, it was. It, there were a lot of guys really close, uh, and then Holma was at sixteen under, and at the time he was one back, he threw a dart on seventeen, missed an easy putt, and then flared his. No, he pulled his drive yeah, pull. <laughs> over into the left rough on eighteen. And it turns out none of it really mattered, right? I mean, maybe if there had been a little bit more pressure on Thompson, he might have struggled, but he went, you know, he went and birdied 18 anyway. So it, it didn't end up being probably as much drama as it could have been. But yeah, it was really tight and it was it was a lot of fun to watch down the stretch because a lot of guys had had opportunities if, you know, Thompson or anybody else slipped up to step in and, and have a chance at winning the tournament, which I think is the fun whenever we have these, you know, tournaments with a bunch of pretty evenly talented guys yeah i mean and we both talked about it wednesday whenever we did the pod that in these small tournaments not small tournaments but where there's just not a ton of top end talent you get really random winners more often than not and so you it's always better to build i feel the rags and riches sort of lineups because you end up with michael thompson's winning for like he was like seventy two hundred dollars or something right it wasn't that expensive yeah, it was somewhere around there, but I mean, I'll, I mean, Neiman won the Greenbrier, right? Which was he was pretty heavily priced for for that field. I think he was above nine thousand. Right. And but our our first big win was Munoz at sixty six to one, and then you know I hit Griffin at seventy to one or something like that, right? So a lot of these winners in these tournaments have pretty long odds because you know just because Dustin Johnson. You know, Brooks Kepka, Tony Finau, whoever are there doesn't mean they're going to go out and win the golf tournament just because they showed up. So, you know, these these guys are all professional golfers for a reason that have tour cards. So any of them can go out and shoot an incredible round on any given day. And, and Michael Thompson was able to basically do it for four straight days. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I would say at this point in time, I think the only, like, heavy favorite I would bet in, in a tournament like this that I would have confidence in winning would be DeChambeau. He seems like he just is on a mission to win every tournament. Like I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying that he's Tiger Woods, obviously. But I felt back in the day, every tournament Tiger entered, he was going to win. And even 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 the, even the yeah. small tournaments, which is why he's going to beat you know Jack's record for uh, for win or not Jack's record. Uh, uh, Sneed, yeah, Sam Sneed, yeah, yeah Sneed's the record for win. So, but I feel that DeChambeau excels whenever he is the best golfer or like close to the best golfer but he doesn't yeah he doesn't i feel like the juice whenever it's you know all the top talent i feel like his game lends itself to that right he his his advantage or the thing he does really really well is bombs the ball mm. and usually when it's these you know smaller name type tournaments these guys are where they are because they don't hit it as far as the robs the dj's the rory's the bryson's and so his advantage becomes even more apparent in those situations so yeah yeah i think there's definitely something to that that, that bryson can go out and maybe win these tournaments i don't i mean I, I don't know i generally i'm not ever betting the 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 guys in these tournaments that have uh, the lowest odds the you know 
10 to 1s, 8 to 1s, because it's just not good. Not good math in your favor. There's no actual value in that. So I try to avoid it, but I, I definitely can see where that, that point Yeah, definitely. We'll just get right into our club up, club down section. I think that this week, I think it's going to be, the, it's probably the easiest. And I tried to stick with people that were going to be in the field coming up. Um, so first we'll talk about, we talked a little bit about Max Homa earlier, but he gained 10 strokes overall last weekend, which was third, I believe, for everybody, including six on approach. So he was absolutely on fire. You know, they talked about it a lot during the broadcast for the featured groups and whatnot, if he had NBC Gold, but that how he had really tried to focus his game. And, and last weekend, one of the more impressive things for him was that he actually gained strokes on, a, on around the green, which A, this, it was a hard tournament to do that given its history, and B, he's not good at it. So I think that's positive. Yeah, he, he went out and got some help from a different coach with putting and, and around the green play, and he said it was more less you know physical, less adjustments in how he was putting, and more mental in how he approached it. So it was it was cool to see that, and now that he has a good weekend under him, I guess we'll get him back on Twitter, so I'm happy about that too. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, we have Michael Thompson, obviously, who earned his spot into this field upcoming because of his victory. Like I said, he gave, he gave a really awesome speech. You know, whenever you get, it was similar to me, like not not as, it was, it was different, but it was similar feel about how I felt about Lanto's victory speech when I, in Houston last year. Sure, yeah. But, you know, Michael's, you know, Michael Thompson's been around for a while. He's not the best golfer in the world. And, you know, just to go 11 years in between victories, that's pretty crazy. So that was, that was really awesome to see. Uh, and then we had Wiesberger. You talked him up throughout the tournament, 29th right to the world, way too cheap for a tournament like this. Shoots a plus three on the first day and then 13 under for the rest of the tournament. Uh, really came out strong and was, I mean, just he did what he does. Just strike the ball well. A little, little bit more on your point. And Michael Thompson, it was, you know, I watched the end of the tournament because I had, you know, Holme and Finau winning bets potentially and so i'm excited to see the close of it and i always try at least to catch the last four or five holes of you know the last three groups and when he was giving his speech anna was watching it with me and she's like oh that's really nice like he's very emotional i was like yeah like a lot of these guys people think because they're professional athletes they're like millionaires but golfers that are like grinding for their tour cards every single year unless they you know had big sponsorship deals or whatever or it's not that way they're they're literally trying to make cuts to feed their families that's how it works for these guys so he's you know this just set him up for, for life for however long, right? I, I know he had a second in a U.S. Open, I think, in 2012, and then he won in 2013 at the Honda Classic. So he's probably okay, but, like, you know, Lanto Griffin, guys like this, they, they live paycheck to paycheck. Not complete, like, not like, you know, somebody making minimum wage does, but it's tough for them to make a living. Like, they're making, so they're making, like, guys like this making, win. like, $200,000 a year, which is not a lot in the golf world. <laughs> right, it's sure. A, yeah, but... I, I mean, like Lanto Griffin, when he won during his speech, he said he would, he like he his buddy gave him a caddy job a couple years prior just so he could have enough money to continue playing on tour, right? Like some of these yeah, guys, yeah. if they don't, yeah, it, it's a struggle. So it, it's cool to see stuff like that. My my list is basically exactly the same as last week. I I didn't specifically look to include anybody that was playing this week, but I have Hendrick Norlander because I was so off on him. I feel like I got to give him his props. Finished T eighteen last week or T twenty three last week. Uh, was still solid. He had a hot day, though. He did have one hot have day, a, but a hot I have a, day made a I have a funny finish. thing about that. I was looking at um, <laughs> I was looking at the head-to-heads on, on the final day, and his was, it was Norlander mm-hmm. and, and Sam Burns. And I was like, and I was like, oh, man, okay. you had Sam Burns, he goes out and he shoots a minus five and you leave that head to head and you gotta be pissed. <laughs> you gotta be you gotta be frustrated. No doubt about that. Uh, other two guys I have, we'll, we'll go through them real quick. Matt Wolf, I feel like he deserves yeah. a little bit of attention here. He's made three out of the last four cuts. All of them have been top 22 finishes, a couple in very, very tough fields. Uh, and it, it's fun to watch him. You know, he's kind of become the forgotten guys as more Colin Hovland have really taken off of the of the young guns, even though he got the first win out of all of them. So it, it's nice to see him playing uh, well again. And then uh, Richie Orwinski, that's now five straight cuts since we've come back. 76 fantasy points and four of the five starts and even though he struggled a bit on Sunday you know he was he was there at the end of it ended up finishing in the top 20 so really solid week for Warinsky again yeah and the club down I think I'm just going to keep it big names here we have DJ Kepka and Fleetwood I, I I'm not as convinced on the on the uh on the club down for Fleetwood 
in the sense in the global sense like i thought he played okay you, you missed the cut right. on the number or like one off the number you know not a big deal he had a couple of like really bad holes but otherwise i thought he looked okay and i think he was he put it he putted pretty poorly which was his downfall and, and i think you know he was definitely using this tournament i think i said this beforehand that he I, to me it seemed like he was just using this tournament as a warm-up for next weekend anyway just to get some golf in you know right. some competitive golf in before a big tournament because this was his first tournament back um kepka i i mean this knee thing i think is a real issue moving forward again he grinded and i didn't think you know given the circumstances you know i don't no one knows really where his knee is and i know he said it was on last sunday it was like the best that he had, had felt in a long time but something just looks off right. with him and i don't know he hasn't i mean he he's been consistent in his average play like i felt like i don't know last weekend was different than the other weekends because i felt like he was he was having like a great nine and a bad nine and then he was ending up like even par whereas this weekend i thought he would just he just played like okay throughout the whole thing so i i don't know what to make of it and then dj has now shot an 80 and 80 and a 78 in his last three rounds and he withdrew you know for back pain and I, i mean he's all over the place on his drives I don't know if it's like a confidence thing. I don't know if he really just didn't want to be there to begin with, but he was trying to fulfill some sort of, you know, I don't know what the PGA is doing with their commitment to having players play new tournaments every year. You know, I think there's like, they have to do three, I think, or two different tournaments than they've done. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure if they're that. like jettisoning that idea because of the, the season of how it's gone and COVID and whatnot, but it really didn't look like he wanted to be there to begin with. And and it was very obvious by the end of the round that he did not want to be there. Yeah. So, I, I mean, he's going to be an interesting play this week because I, I mean, I can't imagine his ownership being above like six or seven percent. Yeah, I, I, there's probably value in Dustin Johnson just surely based on ownership and DK. Uh, I have those two guys. I don't have any added comments to make. You you summed it up pretty well. The other guy I'll uh, put it, put in this category is Paul mm. Casey. There's two straight miscuts for him. Last week, because he's just an awful putter. The one before, because he had a singular horrible hole. I'm not saying he won't play well this week, but there's clearly something. I mean, and and he was visibly frustrated last week. Every putt he missed, he was madder and madder and madder. Uh, So we'll see if if there's a mental thing with him this week, but uh, I definitely want to throw Paul Casey in this list. Although I think he may provide some value this week. He has great course history. Let's move on to this week. We have uh, the St. Jude FedEx WGC event. There are 78 players. It is a no-cut event. Uh, tell us a little bit about the course. And I think, could be wrong here, but I think it is supposed to be a, a pseudo-wet weekend. I don't, at least, not, I think on Thursday and Friday, anyway. But uh, Yeah, you're, de- you're, you're correct about that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in the course breakdown. So, as I said, we're heading to Memphis TPC Southwind for the the third WGC of the year, I believe. Oh, the year, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this year. Uh, so it's a par 70 measuring 72.40, so it's another longer course. You don't see 72.40 and go, oh, man, that's that's a lot. But considering the fact we're cutting two holes entirely out of the course, it's actually actually pretty long. The course was around average difficulty with respect to scoring last year, just above 69 on average per round. Uh, the course features no drivable par 4s uh, this week, unlike our last few stops. Two par 5s because we're to par 70. And one incredibly long par three, about 230 yards to pair alongside some pretty normal length par threes. Uh, we'll be playing on Bermuda grass and greens that are smaller than last week's by about 1,700 square feet total. So last year, this, this course is interesting because last year uh, only about 55% of fairways were hit and just over 290 yards was averaged off the tee. So that, it, considering both of those stats, kind of sets these greens as is probably some of the more difficult on tour. You don't get to hit, hit your shots as far, and they're tough to hit uh, percentage-wise as well. That leads to a decrease in greens and regulation on average for the players, and they hit uh, just a little over 60% last year. But it's a pretty easy place to scramble with being the 12th easiest course with regards to that last last year. Um, and also one of the easiest courses to putt on, on average, on tour last year. So I, I was checking in on that. And on average, players average 2.5 putts per round less at uh, FedEx St. Jude than they did for their seasons last year. So Corey Connors, the interest, interestingly enough, who was a notoriously bad putter, was only like half a putt per round worse than Ian Poulter's like best 
best putting mark last season. So this is a place we, we can expect to get, you know, guys get hot with the putter, and it should be interesting to watch. Winning scores uh, for the last five years, somewhere in the minus 10 to minus 19. And like you said, it's supposed to be rainy. Uh, I saw Thursday, Friday, Saturday with double-digit wind throughout those three days. So it'll be interesting to see where we get scores this year, just because we kind of have competing effects there, right? Soft greens mean you can take aim, and wind makes it a little bit tougher. I mean, the course is called TPC Southwind. It's got to be a little bit a little bit windy. Uh, Brooks won here last year, like you mentioned, I think. Minus 19, he kind of just took it to Rory McIlroy, who were the two guys in the final group last year. And for other course history, the year before, Dustin Johnson won it. Uh, but the two years prior to that, and this was DJ's and these two that Berger won back-to-back, were a different tournament but same course. So right. Daniel Berger... Seems to have some pretty good uh, tournament history here. Yeah, he's definitely going to be super popular. Um, so key stats for me this weekend are strokes gain approach, and this is going to be by far and away the most key stat. The birdie-to-bogey birdie ratio, I think, is going to be important because this course can be hard, and I think with the weather, I'm expecting it to play a little harder than normal. So I think I want people that don't bogey as much. Also, I want a par 3 birdie or better percentage. Now, I, I could be wrong on this, but I think this is the only course on tour in which the par 3s are under par. They score under par. And I think this is... Uh, you, you may be right about that. I'm not 100% and, and sure. I thought that was unusual. And so I think that people that can really feast on these par 3s are where it's going to make a difference because the par 5s are not long. and They're like 540 and 511. Like I think a lot of people... Yeah, they're both yeah, very good. I think like everyone's going to be able to reach them. So uh, I think this par 3 scoring is something that we may be able to differentiate ourselves on. And then, you know, putting and off the tee. We kinda, I'm, I'm kind of wavering on the putting a little bit. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm quite, not quite sure what to factor that into my model yet. But I, I will factor it in some, one way or another. I just don't know how heavily. Yes, I think in, in discussions earlier, I thought strokes gain putting would be the, the big thing we disagree on here. Because... When you when you go to a course where Corey Connors is basically putting averaging putts per round of the tour lead, then I I don't like people have to lose strokes putting against the field and people have to gain strokes putting against the field, right? So so Corey Connors lost strokes putting against the field last year at this event while still putting at Ian Poulter's tour leading putts per round rate, basically. So I it's a, it's a tough place to predict because it seems like everybody's going to putt well and it's going to be pretty simple for everybody. But so so the place I'm going is, is strokes gained off the tee, because I think you have to put yourself in birdie opportunities, and I'm going to do that alongside my my favorite stat, which is yours as well, strokes gained approach. I, I think in a no cut event, we've talked about this prior in this season when we had other WGCs that were no cut. You you are going to have to have guys that are going to make a lot of birdies, and to do that, you have to strike the ball well. I'm okay if you make a few bogeys because you know you're not going to miss the cut, right? You're not you're not going to miss the cut because you scored three over on a par five one time, and that that's just not going to ruin your weekend. Especially like you know, Bubba Watson was playing played well outside of that one hole last week, so something like that isn't going to ruin your weekend. And then I'm going to be looking again at long par fours. Just a, a quick rundown to to keep this going. Last week I said that was the differentiating stat, and uh, everybody tied for eighth had finished, had either increased their position or stayed the same, and that was just Tony Finau in par four, long par four scoring. So I think we're going to try and separate ourselves there again because holes, par four is 450 to 500 yards, make up 33% of the holes this week. Fair enough. Yeah, I think the putting thing is definitely noted. I think that's why I, I think I'm going to lean more heavily on this par three scoring because I just think it's going to be so important. Like People are going to have to score there. Another thing I may add into the model, I don't even know if I call mine a model because it's not really scientifically based like yours, uh, but just something I look at is streaks because with getting four rounds, I think we're going to, you're going to be able to get some guys that will get hot, and I think that's kind of important in these no-cut events because you don't have to worry about them being off. So that may be, maybe it's not like a... Uh, determining factor, but it can be like a tiebreaker if you're trying to choose between a couple of guys or something like that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, think, I don't think that's a bad place to go. Guys get streaky and, and make a lot of birdies, and now, you know, regardless of how you play over your first two days, you're, you, you're guaranteed to have 36 more holes to try that exactly. again. Exactly. So with that said, uh, let's get into the DFS. 
uh, field here. So we have like, I'm not sure we're gonna go over everyone, but I think we can kind of take a little bit longer on all these sections, just given the fact that there's only 78 people in the field. So we'll start with the top top, which is five guys of 10,000 or above. We have Rom at 11.4, McElroy 11.2, DeChambeau at 11, JT 10.7, Cantlay 10.1, Who's your favorite and who are you fading? Two favorite guys in this section are Rory McIlroy. I think uh, this is a talent and fit play. Last three WGCs, he's finished in the top five of all of them. He was in the final group here last year. And I know it was kind of a black mark on his record to Rory, so I expect him to come out and play this week. I also think he's lost a little bit of his luster. He lost the number one in the world ranking. He hasn't really looked that great since we've come back, so maybe his ownership will be a little uh, depressed at his price. You know, Bryson's still kind of the hot name. Justin Thomas uh, is a little bit cheaper and and has been playing really well, so I I think Rory might be a combination of lower-owned and uh, maybe the best player in the field. We can debate that uh, and we're, we're grasping at straws uh, whoever we pick there uh, the other guy i like is jt just because i like his price uh, he he could be a little more volatile i think than the rest of these guys but he makes a ton of birdies so even if you know he struggles thursday friday he's gonna make a ton of birdies saturday sunday uh and the guy i'm gonna not play this week is is bryson i just think he's my least favorite play out of these five guys there's no reason not to play any of these guys if you're gonna pick from the top of your roster but i'm gonna go with yeah i think the what bryson does well is limited i think we talked a little bit or at least i mentioned at the beginning where he's just not as good in these tournaments where you get everyone at the top i would say probably honestly the byron nelson was or the memorial i'm sorry was probably the first event where i was like oh wow like Bryson's like actually competing like with everyone else here. That doesn't usually happen. Sure. Um, I, I like Rory the best as well, especially because he's not the most expensive guy. But I mean, you can't really go wrong here. Cantley finished twelfth last year. JT finished twelfth. Rory was fourth, and Rom was seventh. So I mean, everyone, every one of these guys did well here last year. I, I you know, it, at this point, it's really just about. I think in the, for this particular field, it's less about what the price point that you're choosing. It's just about what guy you want to fit in at the bottom to, to get into your lineup. I mean, price may be a yeah. determining factor, but I don't feel like it really is going to be for me. Yeah, I've, it's interesting. You talked about you know what guys make birdies while avoiding bogeys, and I feel like that's Patrick Cantlay, right? Andy's the cheapest in this space. He makes... A ton of birdies, but he also doesn't tend to make the big mistakes other guys do. The problem is the last two tournaments we saw him, even though he grinded out really solid finishes, he couldn't hit his driver. So all over the place. Anywhere within the realm of the fairway, which is something I'm pretty heavily weighting this year. So Patrick Cantley worries me a little bit, but I think he's like the value play here. He's not, he's he's the, the smallest name out of these top five guys. He's coming off some really solid finishes. And he's, he's got a really solid game that I think fits the course profile if he can figure the driver out. Plus, he's right above Webb Simpson, who is another name that I think a lot of people are going to be playing. So for his price, what he brings, and what I think his ownership is going to be, I, I do like Patrick Cantlay quite a bit this week as a value. Yeah, play. I think... So we can just go on to the next to the next set here. We'll just stick into the 9,000 range. So we have Fitzpatrick at 9,000 all the way up to Webb Simpson at 9,900. Webb finished second here last year. Obviously right. fits the profile. He's not as he's not as great uh, off the tee as some of these other guys. Where he's only gaining 0.13 strokes off the tee. So out of pretty much everyone in the top, I would say 30. Go all the way down to or not 30, maybe 20. Get all the way down to Woodland. He's he's the worst guy off the tee. So I think that's kind of interesting. You know, depending on how you're weighting that moving forward. There's a couple of guys I like in this section. I think this is where people are going to lose or win the tournament. I could see a lot of guys building with Xander or Webb as their best guy. I can see some people trying to go contrarian and picking Brooks or DJ. And try, And if they do well, they're going to have a great weekend. I think this section, right. I think, and I think Berger... Berger may be the chalkiest guy here, given his price and his course history, and just the way that he's been playing this year. So I, I think this this section is is very interesting to me. But I have two favorite plays. 
and I, I just don't know how you deny them. Uh, I think that's Morikawa and Hovland. I, I'm curious. You think Berger's going to be the highest on guy, and I, I don't think that's crazy. Do you think there's any depression to that based off the fact that we saw him miss the cut in such a tragic way? At <gasps> Memorial, right? It was on the last hole, and he made a double to miss yeah, the cut. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Uh, like, does that recency bias It could, people? but it, it, it'd be if it happened the weekend before, but people probably have forgotten about it. But, I, I, you know, fair. I don't, and I don't think, I think people in the DFS community generally have gotten smarter about that type of stuff, and I think they're kind of sure, looking sure. more at the stats that they, they should be looking at. Like, people are pointing them in the right direction. So I, I, don't, I don't really think that it's going to depress it too much, to be honest. That's fair. Okay, yeah, well, back, okay, let's get back to the, the Morikawa and Hovland thing uh, i definitely agree victor hovland i i think he he's going to be relatively low owned because i think burger's going to to pick up the most of the ownership there and then i think dustin johnson brooks kevka people are going to try and get an advantage on the field taking them which hey, everybody i've tried that with brooks like the last three weeks stop doing it it's a really bad idea I think I think Tony Finau might see some ownership. He he hasn't won, but he's been very solid. Weird Tony Finau fact: he is, oh, he's seventh in scoring average Thursday through Saturday, and then he's like a hundred and third on Sunday. So it's just like it's not that Tony Finau's bad; he just can't win. Matthew Fitzpatrick here finished pretty high here last year, I believe, had a really solid finish. So you know those lower price guys might might take some things off Hovlin. My other favorite play in this space is uh, Tyrrell Hatton. He's uh, he's still first or second in strokes gained approach. He's really solid off the tee. And, and he's just overall, he's a really, really good golfer. And and I think, you know, you, like you said, the, the average person playing on DraftKings is, is pretty smart now. But I, I just think Tyrrell Hatton is really, really good. And, and Shoffley's coming off a solid win. Webb Simpson's had the year he's had. Berger has course history here. You know, Hovland, Mark Holler, the sexy young guns. So I, th- I think maybe Tyrrell Hatton goes a little bit under the radar. And I do think it's important to, to try and get things right ownership-wise this yeah, week. Yeah, I think ownership is going to be a big key. And luckily, you know, unfortunately, we don't have those out for everyone to kind of talk about, but I think everyone needs to take a hard look at what they think the ownership's going to be because it's, I mean, it's in a field this small, it's all about differentiating yourselves because everyone's, you know, like, you're going to see people that are owned at 20%, and you may think that's high, but it's not because it's just a smaller field and there's just more people to own, and and with the best players in the world, it's just going to be a little more spread out. So, uh, I, so yeah, so right. I think... You know, that kind of stuff is key. I, I don't know about Hatton. I think Hatton may be popular. He may not. I mean, he's been, I mean, he's first, he's finished first, third, and fourth since the reboot. And, but he's not played, he finished 43rd here last year. And he does play, he does play typically well when there's, whenever there's all these big names. But I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to make of him other than, you know, he's second in the field in strokes game approach. And I love that. And he's gaining almost 1.2 strokes putting. And I love that. And he's um, well, that's cons- and that's consistent. That's not like a weird thing for Hatton. That's how good of a putter he actually is, right? This isn't like over the last three tournaments he's gained five strokes per round. No, he like he's like he's like Harris English we talked about last week, right? Like where Harris gained one point three, one point six, two point something on the greens. Well, that's just what he does, right? And and I think that yeah. So I, I and he and he's good at the par threes. So I, I I like him. I'm hoping that his ownership's low because I would like to go to him. But if not, I don't mind starting a lineup with Morikawa and Hovland and working my way down from there. I think, especially because, you know, the, the worst two parts about, their, about Morikawa and Hovland's games is they're putting and their strokes gain around the green. And this is not a tournament where you have to worry about it too much. So, you know, I, I, think, right. I think this kind of tournament is made for them. And I am hoping to see some good numbers uh, for them to, whenever they do come out for us. Yeah, I mean, in the in the model I put together from what I can from from Rick Rungood's website and in, in your in his custom model section, you know, Victor Hovland grades out as the the best play based on what I want, and Colin Morikawa is number three. So I, I have no argument with with either of those guys. I do have a problem with Paul Casey being number two, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> what about what about Xander? I think Xander's interesting. I feel like he's the name that, that generally goes under the radar. It's like he's almost, he's so all he, under the radar. He's like over the radar now. <laughs> he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, 
he he used to be a hipster, but now he's just mainstream. This is what like a, a week where there's nothing about Xander that like really scares me away. I think, but there's always just other guys I'd rather have, which is weird because Xander's, you know, he's such a good golfer. I, maybe in a couple lineups you like pivot off of Webb Simpson and, and play Xander as your your expensive guy if you want to play Webb just to to get maybe a little bit lower ownership. But I was really impressed with what I saw from you know last time out. We saw Webb or not Webb, Sander come from, you know, seven over or whatever, battle back to make the cut at at the memorial and post a pretty solid finish. So yeah, I, I mean I don't I don't mind Xander. Any one of these top guys except for what, Finale and Fitzpatrick and Kepka, anybody above well, Dustin Johnson just won three weeks ago, even though he's been bad. But anybody above 9200 in this price point, I think, could just go out and win this tournament. So you're not going to get a ton of, like, argument from me if you decide to start one of your, your rosters with, like, Hovland yep. and up. Uh, yep, I agree. The one thing that I will say that, that does make me wary in this type of field, and, and I, I don't think, I, I could be wrong on this, but last weekend, you know, it was so crazy that I don't even think you had to have Michael Thompson in your lineup to have won whatever tournament you were in, in the GPP world. I think you could have done right. it without him. This weekend, I think you're going to have to win, have to have the winner. And it's just the winner typically comes from the top group of guys. And so, you know, it's possible that we're saying Morikawa and Hovland and Hatton, you know, that they're really top-tier guys. It's just they're priced wrong you know, they should be above certain guys that are up there. But, I, you know, I just don't – it just seems to me in these, in these WGC events that, you know, a top five person in the world wins them. And Yeah, yeah cre- cream tends to win these tournaments. You're 100% And right so that's the that. one thing that scares me about not having one of the top-tier guys in there because I think you're going to need to have one of them to win unless you, unless you hit on the winner of Morikawa or Hovland or Hattenberg or whatever, you know, whoever that may be. But I, I just it's it's what's stopping me from starting my lineup with both of them at this particular moment. Sure, and, and that's fair. I think there's some experience that goes into no cut tournaments as well, right? And I think that's probably got something something to do with it outside of just being the best players in the world, right? Like you know, Roy McIlroy, Cantlay, Rom. These guys have been playing no cut tournaments for the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years now, and it's just natural to them. Where it's something you got to get used to, right? You can you, and I think. Maybe that lends itself to somebody like Hovland, who who is just kind of a birdie machine, and and yeah, he makes some mistakes sometimes, but he makes a ton of birdies. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. You know, you end up getting a, a really really good golfer, one of the top guys in the world, usually win these types of things, or at least you know compete at a high level, finishing second, third, fourth in them. So I think yeah, and you're right, you have to have the winner this week, unlike last week where you only had to spend like forty five hundred dollars of your fifty thousand to win. <laughs> When the the millionaire maker last week in DraftKings, absolutely wild. Yeah. So moving on to this next section, I think this next section, this eight thousand dollars section, is I think I think it'll be I think people's takes on this particular section will be way all over the place. I think there will be some people who love it and some yeah. people who hate it, or they'll have strong opinions one way or another about certain people. I definitely have two favorite plays in this section, and a third that I, I really that I do really like, but. But you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure if I'm going to play him yet. But we have Matsuyama at 8,900, all the way down to Sergio at 8,000. So these ten guys here, I, I I think I have one person that I'm absolutely going to stay away from, and uh, two people I think. What? Is, but two people okay. are very interesting to me, and I'm curious as what you ha- what you say about them, and for two very different reasons. So Matsuyama seems to fit this mold that we've been talking about with Hovland. And Morikawa, where he's just an excellent ball striker. He sucks at putting, but putting doesn't matter. And and also Hideki's been terrible this year, but he was not bad last year. You know, and and you know he hasn't played in as many tournaments, so on and so forth. So it's a smaller sample size. How does your model say? What does your model say about him? And how do you? What do you think about him? Sorry, counting where he was in my model. He's he's tenth in my model, just above Bryson and Xander and Daniel Berger. So I, I I was already high on Matsuyama just from the fact that I don't I'm not going to value how good of a putter you are this week and I think it's all about ball striking I think he's he's going to give himself a chance to go out and make a lot of birdies and like you talked about earlier he's an incredibly streaky guy 
right? When he when he is on, he makes four or five, six, seven birdies and eight holes or whatever. So I, I really like Hideki this week. He's gonna be one of my favorite plays. So yeah, I, I would definitely I would definitely err on the side of, of playing Hideki Hideki Matsuyama this week because I'm okay. definitely gonna And be. then the other guy who just has great course history, but his price seems entirely out of whack for the type of golfer he is, is <laughs> Billy Horschel. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not a huge Billy Horschel fan, but he is a beast off the tee, uh, and he, he's a solid putter, so if you're looking for somebody who can get really hot, he can do that, but his approach game's just been so off for me this year, and, and w- when he plays well, he plays well, but he's also, again, a guy that can get really streaky and rack up a ton of birdies in a row, so if you give him an opportunity to make a cut Saturday, Sunday, maybe he ends up playing well, so I, I'm i not going to play Billy Horschel, I think he's one of the guys that I'm going to probably avoid completely out of this realm but I, I definitely see there being reasons with the fact that he has played well in WGCs before and he is really solid off the tee which is a, a thing I think you need to do this week to be successful. Yep, I, I agree there. I think the one person that I'm I, I'm most so the two, my two favorite plays in this range are Patrick Reed and Answer. Patrick Reed because I feel like you always get if he plays four four rounds you always get one bananas round from Patrick Reed and it usually just happens on the last day whenever he's out of the tournament. But nonetheless, it happens. And so I like that, that he has that ability. He's been good. He's good across the board. He's green. Typically, the thing with him is that he's terrible at you know approach or he's wild off the tee or whatever. And he's gaining strokes in all of those, uh, all of those key stats coming into this, in addition to the fact that he's a great putter and he can get hot with that. So I like Patrick Reed a lot. And then Abraham Answer, he has been absolutely awesome on the, his approach shots. I think he's heavily underpriced. And one of the things that I, that I think you don't really associate with him is his ability to go low. But I think his, how he competed uh, at Hilton Head shows that he has the ability to do that and can get streaky with the putter, although he's not a bad putter. He still gains 0.31 strokes with it. But I, I, I love his game. I think he's a second-shot player. I think it fits, fits perfectly with this course. Uh, he's my favorite player in this range. So my absolute favorite play, and I thought I was going to get to shock you with it, is, is Patrick Reed. I'm going to be playing <laughs> quite a bit of Patrick Reed this week. And, and it's not – it, it's for this reason. I think that even in these tournaments where – I think in these tournaments where – Everybody makes the cut, but not everybody has a chance to win. You need guys that are still going to go out on Saturday and Sunday, even if they don't start well, and they're going to grind, right? And despite all, all, the, all the hate we give Patrick Reed, the one thing we always compliment him on is when the pressure's not on and the dude's just going out to play golf on Saturday or Sunday, he's going to go out and shoot minus eight, minus nine. And if, if the bottom of your roster can, can, can do that, then that can completely change your week, right? So his last few tournaments, he's gone from like 55th to 7th, and he's gone from 47th to 17th, all on Sunday. And so, yeah, maybe Patrick Reed isn't going to win you the tournament, but he's not going to stop grinding, and the dude's going to go nuclear on Sunday if he doesn't have a chance to win, and he's going to make a ton of birdies. So I like Patrick Reed for that. 8800 is a steep price to pay for a guy you don't think is going to win the tournament, but he's going to have a huge Sunday from the back. But... I think that can win you a tournament this week. God, I hate myself. I can't believe it. Ugh. I need to wash my mouth out so bad for this. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's really sound logic, and no one ever plays him. So you know that he's, he's going to be contrarian. I think he's a perfect type of play. Like if you're going Rory, you know, Hovland or someone like that, where that might be a kind of a conventional start to a lineup to have a Reed or someone like that in there really changes things and really allows you to kind of go chalky in some other positions that you that you you know you gain leverage on the field one way or another so it's important to ha- it's important to have a guy yeah like I, I i think for 8800 patrick reed is an extremely high upside play who we know has a type of he, he won the master his last masters when he was priced at 7600 or something like that right so patrick reed has high upside talent it sometimes suppresses prices. Uh, the other guy I will say that we haven't talked about answers on my list of guys I like this week. The other guy that I like this week, especially if conditions get windy, is Gary Woodland. I know he's not been great off the tee this year, but I think this is a second shot course. So I think he's he's a fine play, and I think maybe the fact that he hasn't played great recently will suppress his presses ownership. Yeah, a little bit. I, I know that Gary Woodland plays good in the in the rain or in the wind, but 
I just can't get passes off the T game. His last six tournaments, he's lost. Th- th- he's been lost three point seven nine, lost two point two, lost four point eight three, lost two point one, lost one point five eight, and gained three point four one at the workday. I mean, he's just been awful off the tee. I just can't get past it. The two guys, two guys that are one guy that I think is pretty interesting. That I think they even provide some monicum of ability to win this tournament is Ricky and Day. I think they're pretty similar players where they I feel like they've kind of gotten their sea legs since the reboot. Uh, you know, Day's got a top what he finished T seven, T five, two weeks in a row, or T seven, T three, something like that. And then Ricky, I think, has been doing really well. And this is the type of course that he can do well on because he doesn't have his his big struggle has always been what his driving ability and if he doesn't have to have the driver where he can just kind of focus on a wood and be accurate off the tee, I think that helps him out a lot because he has the ability to do well on these approach shots and he can really get hot with the putter. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, even he's gaining 0.33 strokes off the tee this year. I mean, that's really good. So I think, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like Ricky this week. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made for, for basically all the guys in this range, right? Sergio is great off the tee and approach this year. He's only missed one cut. He's just a terrible putter, but he's going to putt better here because everybody does. So all the way down to there, um, Jordan Smith, Smith can get hot and make a ton of birdies. I think there's arguments for everybody. You have to pick what you want. Ricky Fowler and Jason Day are kind of at the bottom of this this category for me just because I think while they are two guys safe. that, yeah, I think they're too safe. I, I don't think the, like, we need to make a ton of birdies upside is there with him, right? Jason Day could come out and just, like, only make one bogey the entire tournament and shoot minus eight, minus nine, which just mm-hmm. isn't enough, right? Like that, and I feel the same way about Ricky Fowler, although he he tends to get a little bit hotter and colder, but I just feel the same way. I feel like they're just, like, going to be solid scores this week, but they don't provide you with that high birdie upside. Gotcha. I I don't know. I think the course is going to play a little tougher this week given the weather, so I'm kind of more interested in some guys like that. Let's talk, let's hit on a couple of these guys. Uh, these guys at the top of the 7,500, mostly just because I want to talk about one particular person, and then we'll throw out and then we'll throw some guys okay. out under 7,500 who you think have a good chance to do well. So the one guy I want to talk about 7,500 up is is Sung J M. What do we make of him? I kind of like him this week because he's just too cheap. Like you know you're getting talent with that, even though he has been awful uh, with his irons recently. I just the talent is the talent is in there, and it's the type of tournament where you need guys that can win from this like this range, and there's not many of them, and he's just one of the guys that can do it. I I feel the same way. I feel like this is way too underpriced for Sung JM. The problem is, I feel like everybody who plays daily fantasy golf is going to be saying the exact same thing about Sung Jay, right? Like, oh my gosh, we get him at seventy five hundred. There's too much talent, and, and I feel like he's going to be extremely highly. Yeah, I think ownership, and that scares me a little bit. Going to be important for me with him if he's like twelve to fifteen percent. I think it's worth it. Anything higher than that, you you might be getting dicey. Sure, yeah, but I I don't know. I he's got to he's got to break through at some point again, right? Like he's just too good not to. And so, yeah, I think Sun JM is incredibly interesting. I haven't written down as, you know, he's one of the guys I like at this price point. And you said Casey graded well in your model. Leishman has been awful off the tee recently, but, you know, and he's been... Finished third here last year. year. He's been awful on his approach shots, too, because he was going into the workday, he was first in strike standard approach, and he is now fourth and only competed in two tournaments, which is... Yeah, he's really reeling right now. He's just really not. But he also well. his like these like weird you know, it's like whenever we say you know you don't play Keith Mitchell unless it's on Bermuda. Like it's kind of the same way with Leishman. Like he puts really well in Bermuda. Uh, he has one of the biggest swings in terms of how he puts on other grasses compared to Bermuda. So yeah, so he does. That's, that's true. You know that helps you a little bit with him. Stenson's back for his first one. I think Kevin Naw is kind of interesting. He's even though he's bad for the year off the tee, he's actually been pretty good recently. So that bothers me a little less. But I think yeah, I mean I, I'm interested to see what M's numbers are. M is definitely going to be my play if it's anywhere beneath 15. percent Do Do you have any interest in, in Matthew Wolf? Given that he's played really well throughout the last four weeks, we're in a no cut event where like his his bad rounds can't hurt him. And he's you know he dropped basically two thousand dollars in price from last week to this week, and he had a pretty solid week last yeah, week. Yeah, let me. You know, I have to admit, he never he didn't pop in anything that I was doing. 
you know, obviously he's been gaining strokes all over the place recently. So he's outside of the work day. So this la three of the last four finished second at the Rocket Mortgage. He gained 2.71, 2.96, six strokes putting. So he, I like the fact that he has the ability to get hot with the putter too. And it seems like he's in one of those modes right now because he gained five strokes putting last week and he just was not good off the tee. Yeah, I, I don't hate the play. I, I think it, I, I think it's certainly an interesting play. And I think he well, he finished 24th here, if I'm reading that right, last year. So that's pretty good. Yeah, he's yeah fine. he actually might be pretty low-owned, too, just because uh, he might get lost in the shuffle, like how I kind of lost him in the shuffle whenever I was looking at it. So, yeah, I think that's completely fair. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. Uh, another name that I – two names, very similarly priced uh, – actually, same price. The two guys at 7,300, Scotty Scheffler and, and Corey Connors – I feel like this is a ball striking course where you kind of like, you know, you can make putts. Uh, any any thoughts there? Any reason you, you know, to avoid them or you're thinking about playing them? I will them? not play Corey Connors because I just I just don't play people who are show who like don't ever gain strokes in putting and he just he's that person. Okay. Scheffler has been pretty inconsistent. He's good off the tee, but he's lost strokes approach 3 of his last 5. So I don't know what to make of that. I mean, the talent is certainly there, no question about it. I think there are better plays. Um, I think, like, for instance, I'd rather play Homa, I, who's, you know, I think has shown to me that he has the ability to be consistent. He is priced weirdly low this week for, for his performance. Yeah, and I think he may be like. popular because of that, and so I'm not sure I'm going to play him, but he's definitely someone I'm looking to in this range. You know, Ian Poulter finished eighth here last year, and no one really likes playing Ian Poulter. Um, but he's just also not a good ball striker, so... It, he does it entirely off yeah, the back of the putter. Yeah, uh, so there's that. Which, you know, I, I kind of... <laughs> I've, I've thought about, like, this in uh, just a global sense. I was like, you know, if, it, if it's an easy putting, doesn't that make the... I wonder if that makes better putters better, because, you know, or maybe there's, like, a, a, a ceiling to how good your putting can be. Yeah, I, I was... I don't know. I was thinking about that same thing, like, today, actually, when I was looking at the putting stuff. Ian Poulter here last year, I said that on average players gain two and a half, like lot, were two and a half putts lower per round. Ian Poulter also matched that trend. He he was at twenty seven and a half for the season and and putted average twenty five putts amazing. per round. Right, so it's still, <laughs> yeah, it, it it's still the, the the mold fits no matter where you are. And so it, it did compress the field a little bit, but yeah, I was like, there's a there was an argument in my mind about whether easier courses to putt on bring the field together more, or if harder courses to putt on bring the field yep. together more. And I I would have to do some more research into that to see what it is, but I do think that's an interesting so, point. That, so for that reason, and and I like Homa a little better than Connors. I also like Hadwin better than Connors because he's, that you do. he's gets you know he gets strokes across the board except for off the tee. And he's not terrible, but he's just he's just inconsistent, and so that could be his downfall. He could have a bad weekend for that. I think I think Homa is a safer play, and I think and I think that's I kind agree. of what I'm going to be going for. If I'm going to go low, I might go for like someone that has like crazy upside. Uh, but I think in this like 72, 73, 74 under range, I'm going to be going for guys that are like guaranteed to not guaranteed, but that are just going to be solid. Like it, you know, I just don't, don't kill me, yeah. please. I think I think the Sung JM, Joaquin Neiman, Ian Poulter, Scotty Shufflers, Corey Connors, Adam Hadwin, Max Holma, Bubba Watson, like tier of eight guys is really, really interesting. Because I feel like you can go a lot of different ways with that depending on what you're looking for. Yeah, and the for. ownership may be all over the place. I mean, it, I just don't know what yeah. to expect. Like Neiman is another guy where, you know, in theory he fits his course like a glove because of the putting. You know, he's not good at it, but everywhere else he's great. And he's been playing pretty well this year. Um, you know, he missed the cut at, uh, at the Memorial, but before 31st. Uh, two turns before that, third turn before that, 32nd. And those were all pretty stacked fields. So I like the way that he's been playing. But, you know, I also like Bubba. I don't think Bubba's a bad play. He finished he finished ninth year yeah, last year. Bubba, yeah, and Bubba was solid except for one hole last week. And if he, if he does that, then he plays the weekend and maybe things go differently. Not specifically for me, but for a lot of people who used him as their, like, contrarian play last week, right? And here, that wouldn't have mattered. It, so it's, and it, it's and his interesting. his putting we'll has been awful he's lost strokes six straight tournaments putting and so that worries me even 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 though it's yeah, that's fair it could yeah, be something weird okay let's get uh down below yeah, the, 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 the cheap seven thousand, and and let's see it anything that pops to you i have two specific guys that i really also have two guys my, my my favorite canucks uh i got nick taylor and 
Uh, Mackenzie Hughes, Mac Hughes. They're both. Mac okay, Hughes gotcha. has been awesome, like here, right? He finished sixth last weekend, forty eighth, and then third the weekend before that. Also has a second in his last six. Um, didn't compete here last year. I just think he has the ability to go low. Uh, the, you know, obviously the one thing about him is that his ball striking is is bad historically, but it's been good recently. So I think you can kind of play off right. of that form if you want. That doesn't bother me. And then Nick Taylor is kind of the opposite. He hasn't been playing terribly. He, uh, he's well. He had missed the last two cuts. Forty sixth, missed cut, missed cut ninth, and he finished sixtieth here last year, which obviously isn't good. But he won on the tournament earlier this year, which is pretty unusual for a guy that's priced at sixty one hundred. And he's also positive yep. in ball striking and positive off the tee, and that's unusual for a guy that's sixty one hundred. So I kind of I like him as well. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like both those names for sure. The two guys that really pop for me. Once we get down here, I preached him last week. Going to preach him again. Bern Weisberger, how's the 29th ranked player in the world priced at 6,500? There's only 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There's only like 20 guys priced below him in this tournament. How? Like, it, it, it makes no sense to me in any way, shape, or form. And the other guy that I, that really pops, he's actually, he grades out at like 13th or something like that in my model. He's the, like, you know, you go down and you got like Victor, Casey, Morkawa, all these high price guys. And then Ryan Palmer just pops up at, at number 12 or 13 on my list at, at 6,700, who had an incredible week the last time we saw him. He was in the final group with John Rahm and, and played pretty solid. And I, I don't know, I... I like Ryan Palmer. I think this is a ball striker's course. I think he's really strong off the tee. He's solid with his irons, and, and it's a course where, you know, putting it around the green play doesn't affect you as much. So I think I think Ryan Palmer, this low, is a pretty good Yep, and he also choice. puts better on Bermuda because that's what he... He is also a better Bermuda putter. Uh, I also think I might go dip into the well a little bit with uh, Van Royen again this week if I have okay, to. Okay, fair enough. We'll um, yeah, so you want to do a, you want to do an alternating pick? pick And who... who, who Always. Did I, did I uh, you did. I, I like you going okay. first. So we so so we have we this thing where it. I start. I'm going to choose all the expensive guys, and that you're going to choose all the cheap guys because I'm. Uh, That's generally <laughs> how we do good it. At choosing but... the expensive guys, and you're pretty good at choosing the cheap guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out. I just don't know who is going to be the contrarian play. Like not a contrarian, but like. I, I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm I'm I've really struggled with honestly with choosing one of the top guys. It's really killing me. But I'll go down and I'll say I'll just choose Hovland because I know that I want Hovland in there. Okay, you want Hovland. You know you want Hovland. I know I want Bern right, Weisberger. So you get Weisberger and Hovland. All right. Well, then I'm going to go with our both our, our one of our favorite plays from the weekend. I'll go with Patrick Reed. So we have. We have three guys. We have eighty-four, thirty-three left, so we can go lower, higher. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna dip down to somebody that that I think I really think can play well this week, given the fact that they played so well last week, and and I like that they're finding themselves in the greens. I'm gonna take Max Holma. So we have nine thousand left. We can we can get fancy here. We can go high or we can go low. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if we go high, then we have to go low with the next one. If you go low, then I have to go right. high with the next one. So, or we could just you know we could go like uh, Matsuyama and nope, I'm not p- p- picking Kepka or Johnson. So don't do that. To oh, me. Okay, yeah, yeah, we could we could middle that. All right. Well, so yeah, do you, you do you feel, do you feel comfortable with Hovland as your best player, or do you think that we we need to go higher? Like my my intuition is to say that we need to go with someone like a Thomas or a Cantley. Um, but I, I, I... Yeah. Or even Webb, maybe. But it, like you said, Webb may be popular. I, I feel similarly uh, to you. I think it. I think in this lineup right now, our best win equity for what we have is Patrick Reed, and that scares me. So I, I don't hate going and grabbing a Cantley or a Simpson and then complimenting that with, you know, Matt Wolfer or Paul Casey this week. Maybe even Sergio. I don't know. We'll see what I'm left with after you make your pick. Probably Matt Wolf. Okay, so we could do Cantlay, Wolf. I do like that. I like so that lineup. Cantlay and Wolf when we have like $100 left over. Is that right? So, 
Cantley, Wolf, Homo, Reed, Weisberg, yeah. or Hovland. That is interesting. You know, that is, and that, that's not I a direction I, I would have gone. I kind of like this lineup. Yeah, I think, I think that, I think that's I good, mean, you know, because I, it's, I think you get a lot of win equity with Wolf. I think you have four guys that can win for sure, right? Not for sure, but I think, I think mm-hmm. Wolf has the ability to win. And I think it's important to have that guy down there that can win. So right. I, I, I like that lineup. And we only have one really, really cheap guy, which I think is important in these types of things. Because I think people kind of keep, you know, they kind of be too cute because it's like, oh, we have a, you know, no, everyone makes the cut. So it doesn't really matter what your bottom guys do, but it really does matter what they do. It does matter, yeah. It's, it's also interesting. So, you know, you said that you want to potentially play Morikawa and Hovland in the same lineup. If we took out Cantlay and kept and um, Wolf, then we could you could go to like Answer and Morikawa is your is your final two there. So I think the front four are interesting. It gives us a lot of pivots, and that even you know gives us a little bit. Maybe you don't like Holm as much. You can go up to Neiman if you do it that way as well. Replace Holm. So I, I think there's a lot of roster flexibility. I think Patrick Reed will probably be. Ugh. This, uh, sorry, I had vomit <laughs> in my mouth a little bit. This the the centerpiece of a lot of my lineups uh, this week. I, I I I just really like what he brings to the table, and I feel like it's probably karma for me bad mouthing him for so long that he's probably going to play really poorly this week, regardless. But I, I think Patrick Reed's a really really good starting point for for however you want to yep, take your lineups. That uh, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, and then so I think the betting thing is kind of interesting this weekend because, you know, like the top 20s are not really all that enticing. Or they're, you know, some sites don't even have them because there's only 78 people. I think the winners, though, are really interesting. And for instance, I thought, I thought some, of, like, some of these prizes are like really crazy to me. Right, one, so one thing that like scares me whenever I see like such a different price for like what a person does is like Leishman. He's like right in the range of like Matthew Wolf and Sergio, but he's in the same way with Spieth. They're both seventy-seven to one to win, but guys underneath them mm-hmm. are significantly higher, and that that always concerns me. I'm like, why? Am like, am I missing something, or like, why is Ches Revi higher to win than both Leishman and Spieth? Yeah, Ches is interesting in that like he's incredibly consistent. He finishes relatively solid here. I, I, he's not my favorite play, and I guess it's you know because I'm looking past him in a tournament of so many big name guys. But yeah, Ch- Chez is Chez would be a solid play. And Ryan, and Ryan Palmer, um, you know, his is like way eighty five to one. He's only a little bit beneath him, despite being like significantly cheaper. So like Ryan, like this makes me think that Ryan Palmer is a guy I need to be looking at harder. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, Ryan Palmer is somebody I'm going to play a lot of in my lineups. I think Ryan Palmer is going to be pretty highly owned, which. Turns me off a little bit, but I think if I can get you know a, a 6,700 guy on DraftKings and have him play really well, that's great. And I think that the, the betting markets agree with me more than they agree with DraftKings. And I think that may be good. Uh, I, I don't know. I We'll see. I think they're... The other guy that, that like where the price difference really kind of scares me is Hatton, who is the sixth most uh, expensive guy, but he's like the 12th or like tied for 12th on the betting market. And I don't know what to make of that. And that makes me think that he doesn't have well, the equity I, that we think he does, or does that make him a great play? <laughs> I, well, I think, I think that maybe what that tells us is that he doesn't have the win equity we think he does. And if you want to play Hatton, you need to pair him with somebody who you think has a little bit more win equity, right? So I think, I think Hatton, the, what this price tells me about Hatton is that the betting markets think he's a shoe-in for a top 10, but he probably has a little less value as far as winning the yeah. entire tournament. I think, I, and I might be just like crazy on this, I think my favorite play in all of this is Answer at plus 48, 48, you know, 48 to 1 basically. I think he, him right. or Hovland at 32. They're, bo- they're both great. Hovland at 32 is yeah, a solid those are number. are both great numbers. I love them. Patrick Reed at 38. Patrick Reed at 38 is fine. I don't. I just don't. Th- I. I just don't like. We talked about we talked this. I just don't think he can win. Well, I. I think and this is because I value off the tee games. Actually, I'm not even gonna. I don't actually. I think Cameron Champ at 150 to one is like an incredibly interesting number. I don't think he's actually going to win the tournament, so I'm not gonna bet it. But like, given the fact that he's so good off the tee, I think that's really interesting. But he's also played terribly the last couple mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. So I don't know. And also, Henrik Stenson's at 135 to 1, and he's like 7,600. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, well, we. I, I don't even know what to make of Henrik Stenson right now. Dude hasn't played a tournament as far as I know in like three yeah. years. So I, I so it's all it's all pretty interesting. They're definitely guys that where the pricing is, you know, I, it, what what honestly what what this looks like to me the price between once you get from the seventy like seventy nine is Wolf right, and you go to mm-hmm. seventy seven or uh, or seventy six and the price differential it's like thirty it's like thirty to one difference between those. Just those those little spots. Right, so right. I think that's kind of interesting. It's like there's like in Vegas's eyes, there's like this significant drop off once you get there. What? Okay, here's the wildest number outside of Ryan Palmer's that I've seen so far. Scotty Scheffler is only sixty five to one. Right, and he's that's and he's that's what? crazy. Seventy three hundred. He's seventy two, seventy three hundred. Yeah, and he's got he's got a better number than Spieth, Leishman. Almost the same as Wolf. Better number than M. That's yeah. crazy. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And then on the, on the top, the bet, the one guy that stands out to me, like outside of Hatton being low, is Xander being eighteen to one, and he's got he's above guys like Berger, Morikawa, Cantlay. He's and above Webb. Cantlay. So I mean, it makes uh, that that makes no sense. Maybe it's based off of his last two rounds at the Memorial. <laughs> And he can, but he can, he can put rounds seriously. Like that together, though. But I, th- oh yeah, I know Xander's great. Uh, I think, uh, and it, this this stuff isn't up yet. Uh, I think a really interesting play for first round leader this week is is Benny On. He's he he's tended to play well on Thursdays uh, in his career. I think this is the type of tournament that like or, or course that fits him. He's really great off the tee, really good at, uh, at approach, and, and doesn't doesn't putt great, which we can say about a lot of guys in the, the tournament. But I think he kind of like exemplifies it and then fades off during the week. I think this is a like super interesting first round leader bet. Like he could just go out and shoot like a sixty four, sixty three. Yep, uh, that I don't hate that. Don't hate that one bit. So yeah, so I think there are definitely some interesting numbers. Um, what is, I, I, you know, what I have to say, I, I, I do have an answer to the question, but it's not it's not as definitive as it normally is. But what is like, what's your Mickelson play? Who's the who's Patrick, oh, Patrick Reed. Mickelson play? That is not something. Yeah, I, it's mostly because I hate it so I much. Ever thought I heard, heard you say. I think I don't know. I think mine. I just don't have a definitive answer because I'm kind of all over the place on where I'm building my lineup. Hovland is the one guy that I know I want. I for sure won my lineup, so I guess I'll go with Hovland. That's fair. Yeah, I, I guess mine's probably also to some extent going to be Burn Weisberger. I'm going to play it. And then who's the one guy that is drawing you in? I think the guy from the top that's going to be a little bit lower owned. I think it's Patrick Cantlay. I don't. I don't know why. I think he. I guess it's, I think he's going to be lower owned. I really like this price. I think he gives you some flexibility, which we showed when we did our lineups together. I think he's got pretty solid win equity, and I think he makes a lot of birdies and doesn't tend to make as big a mistake as everybody else. And if he if he figures out what was going on in the tee when they were at Mirfield for two weeks, then I think he's got a really good chance to win yeah, the tournament. Yeah, uh, that's that is no complaints there for me. Mine is Fowler. I, I keep thinking, I don't know why, I can see Fowler doing really well at this tournament. I just like his ability. I like the way that he attacks par threes. I like the way that he was striking the ball last tournament. I, I think that he found something, you know, he started putting his normal way, which means that he wasn't working out any mechanical issues. He was, you know, solid in the mind. I, I, I don't know. I, I keep coming back to, I, I'm like, Ricky Fowler, I think he's going to do well. So that's my, that's my draw. And my yeah. fade. Uh yeah, who's your fade? I mean, you know, it could be like an obvious one, but uh, like, you know, you could do DJ or, or Brooks or whatever. I honestly think my fade is going to be Burger because I just think he's going to, I think he's going to be so popular that I just end up not even going to look at him. I think that's a solid pick. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy that I said I didn't want to play last week. He's my least favorite play of the expensive guys. I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood. I just don't feel like this is the type of tournament where Tommy Fleetwood's going to excel. He doesn't make enough birdies to really give himself a chance over the course of four days. You know, when with some guys can just go out and shoot, you know, 61, 62s maybe. And I think Fleetwood's just like really solid, really consistent golfer. Um, so I'm, I'm going to fade Fleetwood. And I think he might end up being relatively highly owned again because he's not all that expensive. Uh, I'd like to do add one more now to this okay. um, that we're doing. Uh, 
because since we never do it, and I think it's very interesting. Who's your pick to win the tournament? Uh, Rory. Yeah, I, regardless of the fact that he's not number one in the world anymore, I still think he's the best golfer on I think tour. That, I think that gives him a little chip think, on his shoulder. I think he. I think, yeah, I think he wants to round into form coming into to major and FedEx Cup season. It was really important for him to win the FedEx Cup last year, and and this kind of gives him the opportunity coming down the end of the end of the season to to start that off in the right foot. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Rory as well. You got anything else for us before we uh, leave the podcast uh, no. today? I uh, I think we've spoken enough. I think we always do. Uh, that's all we have for you this week. If you want to interact with the show or either of us, you can find the show on Twitter at TheBackCast, Slaughter at Slaughter, and myself at JamesPaul4. Uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google. We'd appreciate a download, a comment, a rating, whatever whatever you feel like gracing us with. And we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us today. Happy investing to all of you this weekend, and we hope you'll t- tune in again next week so we can make sure you have the right clubs in the bag. Thanks again. Stay safe.